returning to our Bible study in the book of Exodus, so I ask that you would open your Bibles to chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, we've been in this study a brief time. Pastor Chris taught the last couple of weeks, did a great job, but uh, we got back from our vacation and really had a great time in New Hampshire. We went to Boston, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine, and just looked at leaves. You're called leaf peepers when you do that. Did you know that? And we went on this real famous highway. If you're from that area of the country, you know it's called the Kankamangas Highway. Have you heard of that? It's snow because we're here in this part of the country. But it's a real famous, it's about a 40-mile highway that goes through the White Mountains, and it's just filled with red maple leaves and orange oak tree leaves and, and alder leaves, yellow aspen, just beautiful, beautiful. And we really enjoyed that, and, and uh, it, was, it was a great time. But here we are tonight, and we're going to study uh, Exodus chapter 3. With your Bibles open, let's ask God's blessing as we study. Father, we come to you tonight just thanking you for answering our prayer on behalf of our brother Sergio. You're so good, Lord, and you hear the cry of your people. We do pray, Lord, that that, that uh, uh, chemical that is so... Um, disastrous in the body. I mean, chemo just kills everything. We, we pray the doctor could meter it in the right dosage so that our brother's life would be spared, that he would continue uh, leading his home and family in the Spanish fellowship here. We ask on behalf of his wife and children for his life. He's our brother. We care for him, and we thank you, God, for answering our prayers. Please sustain him in the next couple of days, and may the result of this final test yesterday be uh, wonderful when he gets it on uh, Friday. Pray that the, all the things are going well. He's going to get out of the hospital. We just pray for that in Jesus' name tonight. And uh, as we come to the word, Lord, open our hearts and minds and teach us, feed us, we pray in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Exodus, the, the book that's all about the, the children of Israel. We've studied in, in the book of Genesis. We know who they are. There's about 70 of them at the end of Genesis and going into the book of Exodus. It's the children of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise is going through. And now we come to the next major name in the Bible. It's Moses. So we're studying the life, really, of, of Moses. But this portion of Scripture is really about redemption. As God is going to redeem his chosen people that have now been in Egypt under a harsh dictatorship and slavery and death and their kids, and it's really a nasty place they're living. It's dark and, 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 and Egypt, and God is going to redeem them. They can't redeem themselves, and that's the truth about redemption. You cannot redeem yourself. You have to have God, I have to have God come into the world and do that act of redemption. We're not good enough. We're sinners. Sin floated on the ark and Noah and his family. Sin continued with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and these 70 children of Israel have proliferated and now they've done what God said. They're a mighty nation. There are several million of them in the land of Egypt, and they're slaves, and they're building pyramids, and they're building cities all over the place. And this story really is all about redemption. Like in the New Testament, Jesus coming redeems his people from their sin. In the Old Testament, uh, Moses is the quintessential uh, Jesus. 
And he becomes this figure that is going to redeem the people. God's going to use him to redeem his people out of Egypt, out of sin, out of bondage, out of darkness. You see the parallel uh, there as well. Nowhere in the Bible is it better illustrated than here in in the book of Exodus, redemption. In Exodus chapter 2, just as a reminder, a couple of weeks ago we were there. It's Moses, in the Hebrew, his name is Moshe. Moshe, or you've heard Moshen, but Moshe, he's been given this name, and the word Moshe means drawn out. Remember, he was drawn out of something. What was he drawn out of? Out of the water. Remember, he was put in the ark, and just providentially, miraculously, he floated just right in front of the Pharaoh's daughter's nose, and she heard him cry, and it was God's miraculous providential way to get Moses to this place where he, for 40 years would be in the best schools in Egypt. He'd be schooled and prepared. God is preparing him to be the deliverer of his people there in Egypt. Moses, instead of looking up to God, tries to do it in his own way. When he finally figures out who he is, I'm a Hebrew, and look at the way the Hebrews are treated by the Egyptian. Pharaoh is, is killing them. It's making him more and more mad, and he steps in. Uh, when an Egyptian was uh, beating on one of his brethren. And what does he do? He kills. He looks to the right and the left, but he never looks up. He doesn't trust the Lord. He hasn't grown in his, his obedience to God. And God is, is shaping him. In those 40 years he's there in Egypt, he fails. He doesn't look up to God. He looks left and right at man. A bad thing, by the way. You and I need to remember that, that we always need to look up to God. Yes, on the left and the right of us, there are problems and difficulties and struggles. But as we look up to God, we get the answer. We get the help that we need. And tonight we're going to see in this burning bush, he encounters, and I love the song the worship team sang, he encounters the great I am of the Bible, who is uh, secretly, um, well, I'm not going to, disclose that. You'll see who this Lord is, who Yahweh is, or Jehovah. We're going to see him disclosed here in in this passage again. So at the end of chapter 2, Moses, he's sitting at a well. He's run from his, this Pharaoh that's going to kill him now because Moses has killed one of the Egyptians, probably one of the leaders. And so he's got to pay for his crime, and he knows that. So he splits, he leaves. And if you look at a map, and and I, rats, I wish I would have had one, but he goes from the Sinai Peninsula into what's known as Saudi Arabia. He goes across this uh, area of the Red Sea into this area where he's going to come in this encounter, this, this place called Midian. He's in Midian, and he, he meets these girls at the well, as you remember. It's in chapter 2, verse 21, real quick. Look at it with me. Moses was content to live there with, with this man, this Levite, with his daughters, and and this man, Jethro, gives one of his daughters, Zipporah, to Moses, and she gets pregnant and bears him a son, and he names this first boy, he gives him a Hebrew name, Gershom, because he says, I have a stranger from a foreign land. Gershom in Hebrew means foreigner, stranger. So again, Moses is the person that we're studying about, and he's being prepared or being humbled by God, because he's got a monumental task. For those of you that read your Bible, you know exactly what's going to happen to him. He's going to be challenged to lead these two million people from the bondage and the powerful Pharaoh. I mean, he's powerful. He's going to lead them from uh, 
the bondage there in Egypt out of, out of Egypt. So Moses, he's humbled. He's been prepared in Egypt for 40 years. He's now a fugitive living in a foreign land. J. Vernon McGee said this. I like reading J. Vernon McGee. He says that, uh, that Moses was getting a BSD degree, the backside of the desert. So for 40 years now, he's going to be in the desert, and God's going to humble him. Isn't that interesting? 40 years. If you look at a lot of people in the Bible, they went through this period of 40 years. I thought about preaching. I started five years ago preaching. i got to preach for 40 years? <laughs> we got to do something. Not really, but, but in, in the Bible, we see that over and over again. 40 years, and then God's going to use... So, so we're going to meet him when he's 80 years old. Again, these people are still living. Their lives are pretty long uh, in comparison to to ours. But God is preparing him, training him for this future task. So verse or chapter 3, verse 1, it, the, the important note here, real quick, is that God is going to break his silence. God has not spoken for 400 years. During the time that the children of Israel have been in Egypt, God hasn't spoken a word, said nothing. But he's going to break that silence here, and we're going to have dialogue between God and man, or in this case, God and Moses. There's going to be dialogue once again. The last dialogue was Isaac and God. Now it's, it's God and Moses. And again, what I see here, and, and you may not see it. I see it as I read and study. But you have God's sovereignty working, and God is going to call him. And now Moses has to respond. And isn't that the way it is in our salvation? God calls, God works, he's working all around us all the time, but you must respond, you must by faith believe. And we're going to see that again, we see it throughout the Bible, uh, and, and again, we see it right here. Moses, he's going to struggle with the call of God, but here's the epic scene, we've all seen it, my title tonight, Moses and the Burning Bush. Let's read the first six verses here in chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert. And he came to an area called Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. He's down on the hillside and he he looks up and he sees something. There's a fire up there. What is that? And so he's going to go up and investigate it. That's what we're seeing here. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then God says to him, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for this place where you stand is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses, look at his response, the end of verse 6. He hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. Now, as we've approached this, chapter 1 and 2, and I've kind of set you up, we find Moses here. He's tending sheep. So he's, he's gone from... He's gone from the the uh, high schools and the education in Egypt. He's out in some desert place with a bunch of, you know, with a bunch of sheep. 
God's put him in the school of hardship. He's put him in the desert. He's put him in a place to learn. Again, when I read this, I see uh, my brothers and sisters. I've been there. Have you ever been there? Horeb means desolation. Have you ever been in a place where you felt you're in desolation? It's dry. You're thirsty. You want more, and there's nothing here. There's nothing for me here. What, well, God, what am I doing here? And that's where Moses finds himself. He's now there in the desert uh, with these sheep, and he's fine, trying to find new land for them to graze. If you go in this part of the country, you'll see there's no green thing. Everything's dead, you know, and, and, and you have to move sheep a long way so they can nibble on whatever is available. So he's moved a long way in Midian. He's, he's moved through the desert. He's gone to the other side, it says. So he's gone through some mountain passes, and now he's in a place where he, his sheep can graze, and he looks up and he sees this, this bush there uh, in this mountain range. It's the same mountain range, Mount Horeb and Mount Sinai. He's going to go back there in the same area, and he's going to get this, this, uh, the Ten Commandments. God's going to speak to him again from this area, this mountain. We, they call it Mount Sinai. And if you know anything about Jews, uh, and even in Southern California, there's Mount Sinai Hospital. There's My, Mount Sinai Missionary Baptist Church. There's Mount Sinai uh, Cemetery. The Jews are really familiar with Mount Sinai. It's very important to them as a people because that's the place where God spoke to Moses. So Mount Sinai, even today, is, is important. But Moses, with his sheep, he notices this shrub that's on fire, so he goes to check it out. Verse 2, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. F.B. Meyer, one of my favorite commentators, old, old, 1800s, he says, uh, though the bush burned with fire, it did not crackle or diminish no leaf curled and no branch charred. It burned but was not consumed. I love that. God is showing up. God is doing something here. And Moses identifies with this voice he hears. And, and here's the identification here. The angel of the Lord there in verse 2. So in, in the bush, he sees an image. It's the angel of the Lord. It's not just a bush that's that's kind of moving and, and burning and not being consumed, but he sees within this bush. So how big is the bush? It's got to be big enough as, for a man. It's not a little bush. It's a big bush that's burning. He saw it from a distance. He went to check it out, and he sees the image now. And he calls this image the angel of the Lord. I believe this is a pre-incarnate Christophany. This is Jesus Christ showing up here. And we, a Christophany is, is just a, where Jesus just appears in the Old Testament. And, and so th I believe this is a pre-incarnate Christ here. And I could make that point. I don't think I need to go deeply into that. We see many of them in the Old Testament, but I believe that's what we're looking at here. That's what he sees. And you'll notice in your Bible the capital Lord. Look at that in your Bible. See the capital letters there. Now, the Jews, this is the way the Jews would write in honor of God. They would use uh, Yahweh. Uh, they would spell it without uh, vowels, only consonants. They wouldn't mention the name. Uh, they would use the term anointed one. But in our Bibles, it's capital L-O-R-D or Jehovah. That's a Jehovah is the word or Jehovah. It means the existing one. That's the proper name for God, Jehovah. Jehovah is the name of God. And Jesus, I believe, is who the Lord is here. It's Jesus, the Redeemer. 
He's going to redeem his people. That's God's whole plan. He's going to redeem his people. The book of Exodus begins with enslaved people. In the middle of it, it's about how Moses delivers them. And the end of it is about how God comes again in the tabernacle and lives among his people. That's been God's plan all the time. It was the, it was the plan from the beginning of the world, to walk in the garden with Adam every morning. But sin. Adam had to leave, and, and now God's plan is to redeem his people. They can't redeem themselves, so he's going to work again to redeem his people. The, the great uh, theme of, of Exodus. And at the end of Exodus, we get this glorious, glorious tabernacle where God is in the midst of his people. He, he's gonna, God is going to do what he wants done, and, and he's going to get it accomplished here. But it's, it's Jesus here, the angel of, of the Lord, again, we see some really wonderful things about the character of God, <clears throat> and you'll, <clears throat> you'll recognize them, that they're just like our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to I just articulate them, and we'll go quickly through this section, but, but it, beginning the, the, in this first uh, image, we see a personal God in, in verse 4. Notice that God called Moses by his name. He says, Moses. He doesn't say, hey, who are you? Are you, are you one of my creatures? You, you one of the guys I made? Who are, what's your name? No, God knows Moses intimately, just as God knows you. Did you know that God knows you? He knows exactly who you are. He knows where you live, what you work. He knows what you're thinking. He knows some of you men right now are thinking about a score. He knows that. <laughs> God knows everything about you. He knows your name. And look at he's a personal God, and he calls Moses by name. He says, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am, that's me, that's me, God, God calls him Moses, recognize, God knew who he was, God had a plan, God had a purpose for this individual Moses, God has a plan, God has a purpose for each and every one of you, I believe that with all my heart, now I don't know what his plan is for me half the time, I believe I'm doing it, and I find joy in doing some things, and I despise other things that I do, and you know how that is in our lives. But God has a personal plan for each and every one of us, and it's up to us not to look left or right, but to look up and to find out what that plan is and to follow the Lord's leading and, and to live in that area where God has graced us and led us in this path. And he's going to do that here with with Moses, God knows us, and he wants this relationship personally with us. And then notice here, and there's a couple of things that show us that God is holy. My next point, he's holy in verse 5. The first thing is, is he tells Moses to, uh, to, to keep his distance. He says there in verse 5, do not draw near this place. So Moses obviously was coming. He sees the fire and the flame, and he's moving closer and closer. And then finally, he gets to a place. God calls his name, and maybe he wants to hear more or see more. And God says, stop right there. That's, that's about as close as you can get to me. Remember, Moses, like you and I, is a sinner. That in his flesh, all sin dwells, like the Apostle Paul. And, and sin cannot be in the same uh, coexist with holiness. God is only holy. And if we were to try to get close to God, we would be consumed with the holiness of God. And so God protects Moses by saying here, keep your distance. Again, he was going to check him out. Moses was going to come up and see, but God stops him because God is holy. And in man, there's sin. And even in our salvation, there's sin, isn't there? I mean, I'm, sin I'm saved. The Bible says I'm regenerated. 
Bible says I'm, I'm perfect in Christ. I'm in Christ. In Christ, I'm perfect. But I'm living in this world, and I'm a sinner. And if I say I don't have sin, 1 John, I'm a liar. I need to admit that, that I'm a sinner. I cannot stand in the holiness of God, but in Christ, I can, I can do all things. That's why I always need to look up. I need to not look side to side, not watch the news, not see what people are doing around me, but look up to God and trust in the Lord with all my heart. And so here we have Moses here, and he's in front of a holy God. Paul said this in Romans 7. Look at this verse behind me on the screen. For I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. If the great apostle Paul said that, then you and I better really rethink our self-esteem Oh, I'm, I'm really good. I've been good. I'm a good person. No, you're not. You're a sinner. And when you understand that, when you're humbled before the Lord, that's when the Lord can build you up and make you the man, the woman that God wants you to be. We just need to understand that, that in, our, in ourself we have sin. It's the grace of God. It's because of his grace that we can have even fellowship with God. God is reaching into the, the lives of these people that have been that, that really uh, are a picture of, of the Christian in sin in the world. They're in Egypt, and God is intervening now. God is moving and intervening there. And Moses, he's trying to, to, to see God, but God is, has attracted him through the burning of the bush. God has drawn him up onto the mountain. God has done everything, and now God's going to have this, this conversation with him, and Moses is going to have to respond but he first comes to a holy God. Then secondly, notice that God commands Moses here at the end of verse 5. He says, take your sandals off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. Now, what does that mean? I, I mean, there are some friends of mine, they get brand new carpet, and, and you go to their house, and you, you step in their house and say, up, oh, up, oh, don't wait, take those shoes off. You got dirt on those shoes. I got brand new carpet. You know, there's some people that are like that. You might be like that tonight. I don't mean to offend you. That's that's fine. But but in this case, the the taking the feet off, or shoes, pardon me, not the feet, but taking the shoes off the feet, <laughs> taking his shoes off is important because it shows respect and honor for God. He's honoring God by taking his shoes off. God demands that he takes his shoes off uh, there. Moses was in God's house. He was in God's immediate presence, and so God demands holiness there by taking off his feet. Now, it's interesting what Moses does here. When he gets closer, and now he's having an encounter with God, he doesn't just bend over and take his shoes off. It's really interesting to note. When he gets in the presence of God, he falls down. He he falls down prostrate uh, before the Lord, kind of like Isaiah and Paul, and many other examples in the Bible where people had an encounter with God and they fell as if, as if they were dead. So Moses, now he meets the Lord. I believe this is Jesus Christ, Yahweh. He's a personal God who knows Moses and calls him. He's a holy God. And, and thirdly, he's a covenant-making God. Look at verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So in this burning bush, the image is speaking to Moses, and 
It's Jesus, and Jesus says, I am the one that made the same covenant. Now, I'm so glad that we're working our way through the Bible, because for those of you that have been studying the last year or two with us, you know exactly what that means, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what God is doing through these people. And that God has made a covenant. He's made a promise, you could say, with his people, a specific promise with Abraham. And then that promise was reiterated with, with Isaac and with Jacob. And it's not a new covenant. It's the same old covenant, the same promise. God doesn't change. He's made this one promise that Abraham's descendants would be a great people. In other words, there'd be a lot of them, a lot of descendants. That they would be uh, given land for possession And that these people would be a blessing to the whole world. Now, you that have studied with me, you know exactly what that's all about, the Abrahamic covenant, that Jesus is a Jew and he's going to come through those people. He's going to be born, he's going to live and he's going to die and be a blessing to the whole world. The seed of the woman, Genesis 3, it all ties together. Hopefully you see that thread of redemption as we work our way through this. It's fascinating. But God is a covenant-making God. He's made a promise. Let me show you real quick. I'll just read it real fast. Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. In other words, I'm going to bless your descendants. You're going to be a lot. There were 70 at the end of Genesis. Now there's 2 million after 400 years in bondage. That's the promise that's being fulfilled here. I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you... All the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, that's God's prophecy concerning his promise to Abraham that's gone to Isaac, that's gone to Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. And we have the children of Israel, right, that make up these two million people that are in bondage in Egypt. Just so happened that the Egyptians wouldn't have anything to do. They would not intermarry with those gnarly Hebrews, remember? It was God's way, again, to preserve his people. And so now there's this large group of people, just as God has prophesied. Genesis 15.3 is another one that I just want to remind you of. Genesis 15, verse 13, I should say. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them. So this is speaking of the children of Israel that are 400 years in Egypt. They're strangers in the land. They're going to serve the people. They're become slaves. And they will afflict them. Notice how many years. Isn't that interesting? The Bible is fantastic. So not only is God a covenant-making God, he's a covenant-keeping God. He's not changed a thing. He's holy, and he's a covenant God, and he's also a compassionate God. So this God of the burning bush, this Lord Jehovah, this Jesus Christ, we're seeing all these things about him. He's a compassionate God. Notice verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Electrolytes. The <laughs> Interesting when you study these cultures, how many of them 
do not exist to this day. But here's the point, that God has compassion. He's heard the cries of his people for 400 years. God always sees and God always hears. And he hears their cry and he sees them in their plight. And this really proves that God is sympathetic, that he, he, he is compassionate. He's not a God that's aloof. He's not a God waiting to throw a lightning bolt on you or me when we sin. He's a gracious God. He's a compassionate God. He's a loving God. And that's what's being exemplified here. And he promises to deliver the Israelites from their hardship, from their bondage. And it was all motivated by this covenant that he made with Abraham. Uh, again, people, you know, they, they read the Bible, and it spans a long period of time, and it's hard to interconnect it, but when you read it together like this, you just see God working in a miraculous way. I, I love that truth. All his, uh, his promise and, and his love for his people comes out here as compassion during their affliction. And then again in verse 7, I have seen the oppression of my people. I've heard their cry. And then verse 9, notice God tells Moses, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So again, all these years, for most of the time, the first, it started out really good. When Joseph was alive, they were treated like kings and priests almost. They, had, they were given the best land, and the Egyptians left them alone, and they, that's when they flourished and they grew, and their families, they, they're prolific in their, their, um, their children and all. But then for, for several hundred years now, they've been oppressed. They've been slaves of the Egyptians. They've, been a, uh, they, they, they've had all their freedoms restricted. Their children have been killed, ordered by the Pharaoh that their male babies, all of them, are going to be thrown into the river. And the Lord hears and the Lord sees the oppression of his people. He's going to rescue them. Now, here's the application here. You may be going through something difficult. Even our brother Sergio, these last few weeks, something very difficult. And, and the question is, Lord, I prayed. I said, Lord, I admit my sin, and God, heal me now. I'm ready. And days, weeks, months. Lord, heal my marriage. Uh, uh, touch my husband. Touch my wife. Uh, bring a, weeks and months, maybe years go by, and you wonder why. You wonder why the delay. Why does God take so long to act? Think about these people. How many years were they in Egypt? How many? 400 years. They're there for 400 years. And there, I, no doubt there's those that are wondering, why? God, are you listening? Do you even care? Do you see? Yes, God saw it all. God was preparing his people through numbers, through breaking their spirits, to follow him, to follow the leader. Oh, we're such a stiff-necked people. Wouldn't you agree? We're so rebellious to the core. That's why Paul says, you know, my flesh, all sin dwells. He knew it. I know it too. I, I hope you understand that too. It, it helps to humble yourself before a, a great and awesome, powerful God. You might even feel that God has turned away. He's not listening to your cries for help. But God hears. He's not deaf. God sees. He's not blind. He knows exactly what's going on in your life and my life. That's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? 
He saw our plight. He saw our need, and he sent his son. Oh, thank God that he, he loves us, and it's his grace. He, he, he redeems us through his wonderful, wonderful grace through the Savior, Jesus Christ. He knows our needs. He knows who we are. He knows what help we, we need. So tonight, I hope that's an encouragement to you. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he can help. You just need to cry out to him, call out to him. Our response to God in those times are, are, are really, we're to turn to him. We're to look up to him, not around, not around. Not, we don't try to connive or manipulate situations and people and finances and, and jobs. We have to look up to the Lord and trust in him alone and let him do his work in his time. And you'll see him do that. I, I believe God sees everyone. We just need to believe that really the choice is ours. Either we work it out on our own or we trust in the Lord. And I believe, again, here's a great example of we need to trust in the Lord. And I, these beautiful descriptions of who God is, that's what we're seeing in these verses. He's a personal God. He's a holy God. He's a covenant-making God and keeps his promises. He's a compassionate God. And then the next one here is he's a God who commissions people. I love this one. Verse 10, come on, or come now, he says, therefore, and I will send you, Moses. Remember, he called Moses. He's talking to Moses. He says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Again, back in verse 8, God says, it's Jesus, Jehovah. He says, I am going to come and deliver. I'm going to come and deliver. And now, Notice that he says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you, Moses, to do this, this work. The question is, if God said he would deliver them, why did they even need Moses? Why did God need Moses? Why did God choose Moses? And here's the answer. Because God uses your hands and your feet and your compassion and your prayer. God uses you and God uses me and God uses ordinary people to bring about his plan on this planet. I mean, have you thought about that ever before? We are the body of Christ. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are his hands. And we're all gifted differently. The body of Christ is a beautiful thing and each church is individual and unique. And I saw it working last night. Last night we had several hundred people from the local community, four, maybe 500 people, I don't know. And there were servants here. There were security servants, and there were uh, people with their trunks and doing, it was awesome, the, sharing the gospel in the back of their trunk. There were uh, uh, food people and people from the body of Christ here serving to, why? To get the word out, to reach out to others and tell others about Jesus. It's a beautiful, the body of Christ is a beautiful, beautiful thing when we're working together. And God uses people. He uses you. He wants to use you for his glory. I don't know what your gift is, but when you were saved, you got all of the Holy Spirit when you were saved. You got all of the gifts of the Spirit when you were saved. And God has a gift. Maybe it's one, maybe there's several that you have. Are you using it? Remember, God's sovereignty, calling Moses, but Moses' response, his human responsibility, he had to do something about it. Just like you and I need to make a choice, we need to follow, we need to do. So God's commissioning people. He uses people to carry out his plan, even though he could do it all by himself. God doesn't need you and me. That should humble us. Do you want to be used? 
Do you stand up at those opportunities when God says, here's this opportunity to go to a women's retreat or here's an opportunity to serve as an usher or teach a Sunday school class? Do you take seriously those opportunities? Say, God, here I am. Use me. Teach a youth group. Help out, you know, a pastor, lift his arms up. Come down and blow the parking lot off and, you know, at 7 in the morning. That's why it's so clean, by the way. There's guys that come in and do that. They're committed to doing that. It's a beautiful thing to serve in the body of Christ. And God uses people to do his work. Paul, writing to Philemon, said this. Notice this verse behind me. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as so does Mark. Remember John Mark? Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. Notice what he calls him. My fellow laborers. The the Greek word, soon ergos. means to work together, to co-labor. That's God's plan for his church. Again, I saw it working last night. If you were here, you saw it working too. It's pretty cool, huh? And, and that is not just exclusive here. It was happening up at Ecclesia. It was happening at Emmanuel. It's happening at other churches all around our town. The body of Christ coming together and working together to get the gospel out. It's, it's, it's just, again, the body of Christ is a, is a beautiful thing. When you yield to God, he will use you for his glory, for his purpose. Now, beginning here in verse 11, we get two more important answers. There's, there's, there's these two questions, these real important questions that Moses is going to pose here, and that, that as he writes this, remember, Moses is the writer of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So he's, he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this record. He's giving us this eyewitness account to this. He's seeing the Lord in this burning bush, But Moses is going to ask two questions, which is my next point here. And the first question is, who am I? And we see that in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Wait wait a minute. A lot of people believe he stuttered. He he, he had no self-assurance. He he had no self-confidence. He tried it in his flesh, remember, and he killed somebody. Did the wrong thing. So now he's very timid. He's, he's uh, who, who am I that you would use me? That's what he's saying here in verse 11, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? Again, 40 years before, he was the prince of Egypt, educated in the, the top schools. He would have gotten carried to school, fed the best diet. I mean, he had the best clothes. He was the prince. He thought he was the deliverer then, and he murdered a man. And after 40 more years of chasing sheep around the desert, now Moses is in a humble place. That's what I see when I read that. Now he's finally saying, hi, I'm really nothing. You're asking the wrong guy. I I blew it. All I'm good for is kind of leading sheep around the desert. He's learned to be humble. This is a very good lesson to learn. God will humble us again and again. had a great conversation with a friend of mine that I went to see, actually, we were back in, in Boston, and I stopped to see a friend of mine that served in this church for a few years with a youth. His name is David Gentleman. He's now a pastor. And, and I said, do you remember? You know, it's 20, I haven't seen him in 24 years. I said, do you remember 24 years ago when, when I was doing youth with the kids here at, at the barn, and, and you were serving with me, and God used to humble us all the time. We thought we could do it on our own, as, and God would just 
just pull the rug out from under us and he'd, he'd allow things to happen in our lives that really kind of like, Lord, what are you doing now? Because God wanted to humble us. Because only when we're humble can we really be used by God. It's only when we're empty of ourselves that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit and, and do that active ministry. So here we have Moses. He says, who am I? Well, why would you use me? I'm not just a shepherd. I, I'm out in the desert. He's 80 years old, by the way. Who am I? What can I really do? He questions his abilities, and he questions God using him. And then God answers in verse 12. He's going to refocus Moses' attention on who God is. Notice what he says. So he said, I will certainly be with you. I will be with you. Moses, it's not about you. It's not even your work. I'm going to do the work through you. I will be with you. Now, now again, here's the picture. He has been drawn up the mountain by this glowing fire. And in this fire, he, he approaches, he sees an image. It's Jesus. And Jesus begins to speak to him personally, one-on-one, -on -one, calling him by his name. And then he says, I, I'm going to be with you. I mean, that would have been a powerful statement for him. That would have got, given him assurance and confidence for sure. God looking right at him and saying, I am going to be with you. Moses, I couldn't do this. Who am I to do this? Jesus looks at him and says, I'm going to be with you. You know what? God says the same thing to you and I tonight. I will be with you. I'll be with you in your hurt. I'll be with you in your difficulty. I'll be with you in those hardships in your life. I'll be with you. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. God wants to cooperate in our lives. It's a beautiful truth about our great, great and awesome God. He says, I will be with you. Moses' authority is assured with God's promise of his presence in his life. And then he gives them this interesting sign. Notice God promises Moses that, that if you'll obey, I'm going to do something, but, but it's not going to come until you obey. In other words, you've got to walk in faith and live in faith and produce by faith. I'm not going to show you a sign. I'm not going to give you any help now. But, but boy, I'll tell you what, you're going to know it. If you're obedient, you're going to be blessed. And notice what he says here. He says, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. Here's how you'll know. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, this is a real interesting statement. I need to break it down so you can understand it. There's two use, Y-O-U's, in here. Notice, the first one is singular. Moses is, or God is saying to Moses, you individually, if you'll individually, you're going to know that I sent you individually. When you obey me, when you brought the people out of Egypt, and then the second you is plural. And it's really you all, that all the nation, the nation is going to benefit from your work. And this is how you're going to know, because one day you're going to come to this mountain, you're going to worship me. That's a beautiful promise. But he didn't give it to him at the beginning. He said, you've got to be faithful, you've got to trust me, you've got to be by, walk by faith and by, by this uh, direction I've given you. And then at the end, you're going to get a sign. I mean, isn't that just like God? We have to trust God. He doesn't give us all the means. If you're a young person, you've got to go to school. You've got to work hard. You start out with nothing. We all did. Remember starting out in our young marriage. It didn't, we didn't have anything, and it didn't matter. 
we just loved each other and and God provided and Esther is driving a 65 bug wish I had that car now that thing it, that thing broke down every week I tell you what that thing I mean, have you ever had a, a Volkswagen, the old kind? I mean, the new ones, I guess, they're having trouble with selling those things. Or they're having all kinds of problems. But the old ones, they just broke down every week, and I was working on that thing. I had greasy fingers every week because I was working on that car. But it didn't matter because we loved each other. We trusted the Lord, and we, we were serving God. We were involved in our church and ministry. It was so, it was so vital. We just loved the Lord. It was a great Great to you had nothing, but we were trusting the Lord. And God wants to, to do that. He'll give you at the end. There's going to be a reward. And I've seen it in my 40 years of marriage in my lifetime. You've seen it as you grow in the Lord. God will show you. He'll just show you. This is, this is my little reward. He gives you a little reward. He shows you an obedient child, uh, a worship leader, a child that, that does something that you thought would never happen, and it happens, and you go, God, that is you. That is a sign from you that you are so faithful. Something in your life, maybe financially or maybe your home. I don't know what it might be in your life, but God has shown us those things. He gives the reward after again, and that's the sign. The sign of Moses' obedience was the nation worshiping together, and they did it, by the way. We're going to get there. We'll see that more. But the practical application of all of this is some of us are waiting for God to give us a sign before we're ready to step out and be a Sunday school teacher. Well, I'm, I'm just going to wait. I've heard the call. Pastor John really needs help. He does. He needs help. On, on Wednesday night, he needs help on Sunday night. He, he, needs, he needs people, not just anyone that goes in there, but people that really love the Lord and know his word and are willing to say, okay, I'll, I'll teach a Sunday school class. By the way, that's where I started here in this church back in 1980 teaching Sunday school, singing with my guitar in the shower at the YMCA. That's because we were Porta Church, and we Calvary San Bernardino met at the YMCA over at Paris Hill Park. And I had, the, the people were in the sanctuary. It, it was really the gym area where they do yoga now, I guess, and they do all kinds of stuff in there. But, but that's where we, we set that up as a sanctuary. And then down the hall were classrooms, and we had different, and then we met all the kids would come into the gym, sit on the tile floor with the showers off, they were off, and then I would do worship. It sounded kind of cool in there because it was all tile, and I'd sing Jesus Love Me on my guitar or whatever, and God wants to use you. You have to be available. You have to answer his call. Moses here, he asks another question. The first question is, who am I? The second question, notice in verse 13, it's who are you? This is an amazing question. Again, look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they asked me, the elders, when they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? It's a great question, isn't it? I love this. Moses wants to get it right. He's unsure. He, he wants to make sure and, and, and answer this one right. He's been humbled. He's been humbled in his life, and he knows he can't step out and just say anything. And so he, he says, Lord, what's your name? That's really what he's saying here. And I love it. I love this so much. And again, we sang the song earlier, but notice in verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. 
Isn't that a great? I love that title. I love that name. I, I, I just love that. It's, it speaks of a sovereign God, a God that needs no other. I am who I am. That's what you shall say to the children of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, when God says he's the I am, this, what he's saying is there's no equal to him. He's not saying I'm like this, I'm, I'm equal to, because he's not. God is, a, he, he is so much other than you and me and are the world that we're in. He is all powerful. He is all knowledgeable. God is, he's the great I am. He has no equal. There's no equivalent for God, but God. I mean, think about that. He's the great I am. It's kind of like John. John says this in, in 1 John 4, 8. He says that God is love. You could turn it around and say love is God. There's, no, there's not any kind of love like God. God's love is all-encompassing. It's not like your love and my love. And that God is love or that love is God, is, it's a beautiful truth. And here it's I am. I am who I am. And tell him that I am has sent you. I love that because 160 times in the book of Genesis, we get the name of God. And his name, he gives us different names. There's not just one name for God. It's Jehovah or that capital L-O-R-D. You get Jehovah in the Old Testament 160 different times in the book of, of Genesis, but these different names. Uh, the, the Jochebed, for instance, Moses' mother's name. Jochebed means Yahweh is my glory. Jochebed. Moses knows this name. He understands this name. And this name has been around, again, 160 times in the book of Genesis. The children of Israel know this name. And all throughout the Bible, you'll get this name, Jehovah. Jehovah Elyon. Let me show you a couple of the names of God in the, in the Bible. Jehovah Elyon. There it is. That's the Lord Almighty or Most High. You see that in Genesis 14, 22. Then we have Jehovah. It's Shaddai. Jehovah. Again, he's Shaddai. He's the Almighty God. Genesis 17, 1. Then you have Jehovah Shalom. You know what that means, right? Jehovah, my peace. He's the God of peace. And then Jehovah Jireh, God, our provider. There's a lot of different names in the Bible for God. Jehovah, over and over again, God will provide. God of peace, the almighty God, the, the God most high. El Shaddai, El Elyon. There's all these different names for for God. But here in verse 14, God tells Moses his name is I am. The question is obviously why. Why does he say I am here when he's talking directly to Moses? Again, the word I am means he's always existed. He's always been. He's always lived. There's never a time where God did not exist. I am, he says. The idea behind this phrase, I am, in the Hebrew, means that he is the becoming one. In other words, I am your peace. I am your financial help. I am your healer. I am whatever you need. That's the idea. That's why God says, I am who I am. 
He doesn't put himself in a box. He doesn't limit himself at all. He, he's limitless. He, he becomes whatever we need as a, as a believer in Christ. I love that. I am. I am your help. I am whatever you need. I'm the becoming one. Whatever you're lacking in your time of need. When there's darkness in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. When you're hungry, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You see how we can equate easily the, the great I am statements in the Old Testament to the New Testament, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am, I am, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. God is the becoming one. Jesus is God. Another reason I love this is because Jesus identifies himself in John 8. Look at this verse behind me on the screen, John 8, 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. That's why I believe that Jesus was the one that Moses is seeing now in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush. It's Jesus there. He's the great I am. And he's instructing Moses. He's the great redeemer, and he's instructing Moses because he's going to redeem his people. In Exodus, he's going to re and he came to redeem us. The New Testament Jesus came to redeem us as well. I, I believe this text really speaks about when, when God says something, I am, we need to listen. When God says something in, in Jesus, we need to hear what he has to say. Moses did that in a couple ways. First, he, he had to approach God reverently, remember? He had to take his shoes off. He had to humble himself as he approached God. And I believe if we're going to learn anything tonight, this is one of the things to learn. You need to humble yourself when you come to God. Take your shoes off. Humble yourself before him. Make your request known to God. Second, we need to realize that God works in co cooperation with people. God chooses people. God uses people to accomplish his work in the world just as he used Moses, God wants to use me as, as he wants to use you. He needs your voice. He needs your hands. He needs your feet. He needs your abilities in the body of Christ to reach out to others. Thirdly, God is the great I am. Jesus is the great I am, the becoming one. He can and he will meet the needs of his children. And fourthly, I showed you two examples of the I am statements of Jesus in John, but I want to show you another one in John 8. It's the Jews. The Jews come to Jesus, and, and they have this conversation with him. And when they are speaking to him, Jesus makes a statement to them. He says, I tell you the truth, if any man keeps my word, he'll never see death. You follow me and keep my word, you'll never see death. He said that to the Pharisees. And when they heard that, they said, now, we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if a man keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than the father Abraham, they asked? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? 
And then here's what Jesus said, John 8, 58. Jesus said, most assuredly, oh, John 8, 58. There it is. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, notice what he says, I am. That same declaration that the image, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, that pre-incarnate Christophany, Jesus, the all-eternal Messiah, he's there in that burning bush and he speaks and says, I am. God's going to teach us much as we go through this. I'm going to stop here and then we'll pick it up next week and finish this chapter and move into chapter four. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these truths that we've learned. And I pray, Lord, that these, your people, would hear your word, that they would truly rejoice over the truths that are found here in these verses. This wonderful Old Testament book, all about redemption. And Lord, I so identify myself as I, as I see Moses working, as I see you working through him. I identify myself as a sinner. When I come to you, I need to be humbled. You desire to use me. You desire to use us for your purpose, for your glory. Lord, may we, as your children, be humble and obedient. May we be servants, Lord. And, and I do thank you for the many servants and the servanthood that was displayed even last night here at the barn. Thank you for the many that served. Bless their hands. And even if there may be some tired here tonight, Lord, give them energy and strength. Thank you, God, for the privilege of serving you. Truly, it is a privilege. Thank you for the truth about Moses and the great I am, Jesus Christ. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus we pray. Amen.